When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Off Topple Empire, uh, SB Nation's last standing conference blog that's uh, still putting out a podcast on a weekly basis anyway. Um, As all things of the 2010s internet go, uh, so must we go, but not before raging against the dying of the light. Uh, We're here to talk about everything Big Ten, uh, whether it be football, hoops, uh, culture, women's gymnastics, especially wrestling, but... uh, Whatever we have that's in the Big Ten, uh, you best believe that we will be on it. I'm the Illinois contributor, Steve Braun, a.k.a. Thumpasaurus. I'm with my intrepid co-host, Andrew Krzyzewski, Michigan State contributor. And it is uh, glory, of all glories, it is June, and I'm recording the Illinois Week episode for Big Ten 2022, which means that Illinois managed to finish with a good enough record last year to get their preview week stretching into June. And they look, that's got to be viewed as an improvement as a successful season for Brett Bielema in year one. I will point out that Illinois week did technically start in May, but also started on a holiday. So all things considered, I, you know, it, it's not like the word Memorial has any real meaning to the Illinois fan base. It's so it's kind of, it, it's a w- one thing, not following the other, but why um, Illinois history week got to be the shortest week. Well, if you want, we could just not celebrate it. Like that's the alternative really. So <laughs> it, as I was doing some of the research, because I actually do a little bit of looking, I mean, I, I can't pretend that I deep dive with the comprehensive nature that somebody exclusively focusing on team would. But as I was doing a little bit of familiarizing with Illinois previous season and what they did in the off season. I mean, obviously I know some of it cause I'm near you a lot and you're, often talking about it but I came into my prep for Illinois week thinking that this was the Art Sikowski farewell tour and as I was considering him I'm just you know thinking of on days gone by and just the truly miraculously bad freshman season he had at Rutgers and so I was like man I need to pull up the stats here and have a look at some things and I was looking at like you know if you navigate through on ESPN's pages for example it'll give you each year and it has like the aggregate stats. And I was like, wait, that's, those are some really small numbers in 2019. Oh yeah. Art Sitkowski redshirted in 2019, uh, opting along with Raheem Blackshear to not participate in the Hindenburging of the Chris Ash era. Boy, who was a bigger beneficiary of that new four games rule. That was the first year that that was implemented, right? I believe so, or four it might have been the year before, but I'm pretty sure it was that year. Because yeah. Chris Ash didn't make it four games. So by the time <laughs> they'd made it to four games, they pretty much knew that they were going to have to start over, whether it be under a new coach at Rutgers or somewhere else. And so, like, yeah, and so they made the business decisions that ended up making the most sense for them. Blackshear, I think, is still at Virginia Tech. Um, he could be, because I believe he came in in the same year Sikowski did. And it's like, you know, Sitkowski, you can't really blame him for bailing on his home state because, like, 
man, he, he's seen shit that he won't even tell his family about. No, Rutgers. I, Best to just leave those memories behind. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Sikowski used to work on the dock, but Union's been on strike. He's down on his luck. It's tough. So you got to transfer. You got to go to a program so where you're going to have a clearer opportunity to play. Uh, and uh, look, a program that might have a little bit more immediate upside on the offensive side of the ball, or so you could have thought reasonably when he transferred in. Uh, well, you so know, at the same time, we saw some flashes of him last year against Nebraska, you know, where it looks, you know, just like he used to make that deep ball sing so tough, so tough. <laughs> yeah. But he is halfway through his eligibility because he has two seasons left in Champaign-Urbana if, if – both parties involved choose to play it out. Uh, and of course, because you have again, redshirt in 2019 and then the 2020 season just doesn't count. So he's got two more full seasons. And we'll get to the particulars of the quarterback room in a little bit. But again, that, that was, I had to lead with that. That was the thing that, that really stuck out, which by the way, is not exactly fair on my part because you know, there's a lot to say about last season. Brett Bielema's debut was both better than expected and still very frustrating. And you, with good reason at the time, uh, checked out pretty early and declared this is a disaster. We're counting down until the buyout. Uh, primarily, so there are a few things, right? There's losing to UTSA, which granted, I think ended up aging pretty well. They were, what, a 9 or 10 win team, played in their conference title game, had a couple NFL players. Um but still, a, a game where Illinois had to throw down trick plays to keep up with a Conference USA team, then they got bombed by Virginia. But really, the thing that caused you to check out was in the consecutive conference games against Maryland and Purdue, very winnable game situations, and Illinois opted for the hyper-conservative punt and play defense, try to preserve a small lead late. They blew both of those leads, lost those two games by a combined seven points, and they ended up finishing the season five and seven. Now, because they played pretty well down the stretch, I think most people are kind of forgiving what happened in those two games, but Bielema was not apologetic. He said, I forget exactly, but he said, I'll, I'll do it 50 times, not 50. Or, or so. He threw down some number thing where it's like, no, I did not make a mistake. I would do that every time. Well, you got to understand where I was as far as uh, what through five games in this season. You'd had the win against Nebraska, which – for as much credit as I, of course, give Bielema, uh, you know, to get a roster of, of you know, largely 20-somethings to make fewer mistakes uh, against a, a guy that admitted and then later clarified that this is what he meant, that he prepared for the wrong defensive front, uh, like, in all of the, the camps and then didn't make an adjustment at halftime in Scott Frost. Um, Bielema, of course, give you know, gets a lot of credit for his team not being the one to make mistakes, but... At the same time, it's it's pretty much like if you're playing against Scott Frost last year, they're the Washington Generals, um, right? Then you have a loss to UTSA, which honestly didn't concern me that much. I knew UTSA was going to be good last year. I was very concerned about them, uh, not just because, you know, of, of, of course, why would a Conference USA team not have their best season in program history when they schedule us? But because right. they'd been good last year. They had Sincere McCormick, uh, who... I was a very talented back. Mike um, Harris, too. Really good. Yeah. I, what I didn't see was, man, they had a couple of receivers that were just uh, that, 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 you know, mossed a couple of 
guys on some tight coverage, but uh, I wasn't, I was annoyed by that game, but I wasn't overly concerned. Big picture uh, getting ethered by Virginia in the first five real time minutes of the game. And basically it being over by then was, was alarming. Uh, although that would, that would prove to be an aberration as that was the only game where the defense didn't show up. Um, yeah, very random. It is worth pointing out that although Virginia as a team is not that great, Brennan Armstrong's going to be an NFL quarterback. He'll well, they were an ACC team last year, which means that they had a, a, a pretty average to bad defense and one of the best offenses in college football. Yeah, and uh, in a mid odds to early tens Big Twelve offense. Yeah, uh, just out of nowhere. <laughs> Yeah, that's still like the weirdest trend from last season. I don't think anybody else talks about the sides, or maybe they do, but uh, <laughs> yeah, just talk, well, talk because when it. the only ACC team you care about is Clemson, then you miss that entire story because the only story you care about is what's going on with Clemson. And but- so the reason you miss that entire story from a national perspective is the only team ESPN cares about in the ACC is Clemson. And so once they lost early in the season. The, the network pretended the conference doesn't exist, which is weird for a network that pays for the ACC network. So, but, and, uh, but I digress. So then you right. have, so then we're, we're, we're one and two, uh, a Maryland team that I picked to go, I think either four and eight or five and seven, and it didn't do a whole lot better than that. Um, you know, kind of a one dimensional offense. And uh, we have kind of just through sheer dumb luck an opportunity to, to, to seal the game um our defense is playing well and we punt on fourth and short in plus territory with a fourth quarter lead that felt like the kind of opportunity that we're not going to be gifted very often against a team that is one of the lesser teams in our big 10 slate and then against purdue with an injured david bell i mean i really think that's the reason that game was as close as it was because we held them to 13 points um David Bell was a huge factor in Purdue's offense last year. And we had a similar situation, a similar opportunity and pissed it away the exact same way with the, uh, with both with the defense kind of getting picked apart. And then the offense coming back onto the field and just putting on the clown shoes, you know, just slowly putting on the clown makeup as they yeah, jogged the, onto the, the field stage meme picture of just more and more clown makeup <laughs> as time goes on in the game. It, what I what I would say that and the reason that I didn't I didn't fight you too hard on the early negative judgment of Bielema last year at least I don't think I did um, but the reasoning really was Bielema in his approach to game management for those teams for those games rather was acting like a guy like he was acting like a Pat Fitzgerald or a Kirk Ferentz did where it if it doesn't go well. It, there was an air of, look, I've got the kind of tenure and leash here where I don't necessarily need to answer for that question. And it, it just felt to me like it was a little bit tone deaf to the situation that the last several coaches at this program have flamed out badly. Uh, this is a downtrodden program. You like every opportunity to get wins in conference, you have to treat like you may not, you might not have that many of those. The flip side of that, of course, is that having the confidence to say, no, I'm going to act like we're winning eight or nine games every year playing this style because I have that kind of faith in it. That I think also we saw the positive fruits of that as the season went on. Yeah. But they followed up those performances. Um, Was it, I don't remember if this was between those or not, but somewhere in there first weekend of October was a a game against Charlotte, a, a team with a very poor defense 
like one of the worst in the country, which everybody remembers for uh, Chase Brown going off for 260 something yards. But that game was way closer than it had any right being and was a lot closer than the final score would would indicate um, that Chase Brown piled up those yards. But it, it was kind of inefficient and the offense couldn't do anything but run the ball with him. So every time that got stopped, it, you know, Charlotte was able to stack the box effectively. Illinois kept making mistakes. So that was a very unsatisfying win against what was supposed to be by far the easiest team left on the schedule. So now we're two and four. Um, I didn't see Purdue having as good a season as they as they had, and with their best player injured, it seemed like one of the best opportunities we were going to get to get a win. So we're two and four, Wisconsin for homecoming, and a mistake that you keep making. Yeah, yeah. The 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 Lovey regime just taught me about how you just got to get on the board to establish some momentum with recruiting. He's got a bunch of experienced players. Oh my God, you can't you can't just start off with like two and 10 disaster. It's just, it's just never going to get off the ground. If you do that, got shut out by Wisconsin and then the season started. Yeah. And so from that mindset, from the, Oh man, there really aren't that many winnable games left on our schedule. You know, we just got skunked by Wisconsin. Didn't impress against Charlotte blue two winnable games. And then you had the non-conference losses before that. Like, yeah. Sitting at two and five, and it was the bye, no less. After that Wisconsin game, getting shut down on homecoming, um, you had a bye to think about it. So there's really there's a long time to take a trip to then number seven Penn State and think, man, are we going to keep this game competitive into the second quarter even? Of course, what we saw then was, and again, this is partially, uh, did, Sean Clifford got hurt at some point in the Penn State game, didn't he? But enough of it had gone by where it's like- No, it was against, it was- He'd gotten hurt against Iowa the previous week, and was kind of, and was clearly and yeah, he was he was obviously he played playing. the whole game against Illinois. Yeah, and it has to be said, like if if you don't have a backup quarterback who's ready to go, which they didn't, because Taquan Roberson isn't this a game where Taquan Roberson came in? He was yeah, and they out. got like they got like nine false starts in the second half against Iowa. Yeah, and where it's like uh, okay, they're running a program such that the guys, the backup quarterback's cadence destroys the offense <laughs> like it, yeah if you, if you want to look at this game in the same way as the nebraska thing where it's like wow illinois didn't so much win that game as the opposing coach's terrible preparation lost it for him well again you still have to be ready to take advantage of that because the exactly differential between illinois and a nebraska or penn state is such that a coaching thing shouldn't be enough to lose you the game illinois does have something to do with those games now granted Paul Christ once walked headfirst into a Lovey Smith trap and then <laughs> couldn't figure out how to extract his head from it. But history proved that that was an aberration. This Bielema thing seems repeatable. It does in a way, yeah. And if there is one thing to say, it's that the, the talent left behind by Lovey Smith is pretty good on the defensive side of the ball. Um, these guys were reasonably well coached in the fundamentals. So against especially considering the big 10 west is a lot of run centric teams i mean there's going to be systemic opportunities where just the fact that you have well coached physically capable defenders left by smith and hopefully carried over by vilma is going to keep illinois in a lot of games and to to that point they played in seven one score games last season they had two more that were decided only by 10 points so aside from, again, the Virginia debacle, which you can kind of write off, and then 
Wisconsin got a little bit out of hand because Illinois' offense just couldn't do anything other than that. And then Wisconsin the would have been competitive if, I mean, Wisconsin was a thing where our offense was on a razor thin margin, but yeah. they, they got behind early because they tried to throw early and then you get down and then you feel like you have to keep throwing. Well, I mean, they should have just kept trying to run the ball even when it wasn't successful, but I digress. Uh, I guess if you count that as, as maybe eh, because it didn't totally explode until, till later, you had three non-competitive games. If you count Wisconsin, but one of them went in Illinois favor for once. Yeah, and that would be the hat game at the end of the year, obviously. One that in the past, uh, between Tim Beckman's ineptitude and Lovey Smith's apparent disinterest in the game, um, was a cause of a great deal of heartburn for you. Had to be a cathartic feeling. It did not ultimately result in a bowl, which again, that's really what you look back at those Maryland and Purdue games about. Like, man, if they had even just split those, then that Northwestern win gets you to a bowl. You get the practices, get a game front, maybe the quick lane or whatever it would have been. But it really would have been a very, like that, that would have been a, we didn't leave any meat on the bone year one result. Um, so, Oh man, we're like, you can't understand what a quick lane bowl would do somewhere where Illini fans could actually drive and tailgate. We would take those posts out of Ford field and we would, we would river them goddamn things. <laughs> it's, it's quite a walk from Ford field to the river. They put it in a, again, we would be quite drunk. I assure you. I don't know what inspired it. Well, the Illiches were the first one because Comerica was the first stadium built in that area. Right. Or was Ford field older? No, for, Comerica was first. I'm pretty sure. Uh, but in any case, the three stadiums in Detroit are all built overlooking I-75 instead of, the Detroit river a quarter mile away. Well, it's a little more than that, but anyway, uh, it, it's a baffling decision. None of them are moving. And by the time any of those stadiums need to be replaced, the riverfront's going to be developed such that there's not going to be a parcel ready for that. Like, uh, and of course it's a shame. Detroit could be one of those places that has my favorite kind of ballpark, which is one where any given home run could wind up in a body of water. Yeah, man, the river's right there. And I mean, not that this would ever happen. The river is too wide and you wouldn't be able to put the stadium right up against it. But I mean, tell me it wouldn't be the coolest thing in the world for a ball to cross over the border into Canada. Uh, anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> we you know, but that, that, that Northwestern thing was the culmination of the team just seeming to to really things clicked in the second half of the season. They were they were they they figured out who was going to be their players. I guess, uh, you know, late in the year, I found myself for a while, or for the first time in a while, not asking myself, why the hell is this guy on the field, right? Because it really felt like they did a good job at identifying who was going to, you know, be the best player. Uh, To give you the best example, Kirby Joseph started the season riding the bench as a pretty unknown player, a guy that had spent a couple of years riding pine. End up ended up as a third round draft pick. Um, yeah, and yeah. and you mentioned that they did have some talent. Well, they had some talent, but as far as you know, guys that knew how to play football, yes. But they also put them in position to succeed. Whether this be because this is what the guy wanted to run, or because the personnel were much more effective for running this, but y- you didn't see a whole lot of guys getting lost you didn't see a whole lot of guys that looked like they were playing out of position on defense. Like you saw so often with 
you know, with, with more bigger physical linebackers, just running that base cover two and four, three under Lovey Smith um, and getting burned on pass completion, you know, on, on, on pass coverage again and again and again. Um, so what I'm trying to say is I've always said that one of the hallmarks of your coaching being good is that your team gets better over the course of the season and unfortunately, I've usually always had to say this in the context of praising Pat Fitzgerald, um, because that's generally just been my opinion is whether it's because, you know, the coach's message is resonating, whether it be because, you know, they're really drilling the fundamentals well, whether it be because they've identified the guys that want it the most, something that they're doing works more and more, the more the season works. And you know, when I mentioned how the Penn State thing seemed repeatable, they did a similar thing against Minnesota, going on the road, scoring two touchdowns early, and then running the ball until the clock ran out while while stifling a, an offense that was really struggling in a certain dimension. Yeah, well, and, and playing better as the season goes on also indicates that, or at least suggests, that your, your players have bought in and that whatever you have identified as the best system for that roster – is correct that you're right about that and the best example of this so illinois all season long was run first run second run always pass if you absolutely really super have to i mean the end of regulation in the penn state game or was it going to have no i'm pretty sure it was the end of regulation illinois had the ball enough time left in field position such that they reasonably could have made an attempt to get into at least field goal range and instead, they have to sit on it and go to overtime. And you loudly applauded that at the time. Well, they didn't. You know what's funny? They didn't necessarily even sit on it. They just tried to do a, a, a two-minute drive without throwing the ball because they calculated that. the And, and they, got, they got damn near into field goal range, but they calculated that the risk of Art Sitkowski losing the game on one play substantially outweighs the odds of him winning it. Yeah. And so they do that. They have to go to overtime and ends up being nine overtimes. Um, So from the offensive perspective here, they've got the batteries back from last season that they've got this really good running back group, Chase Brown, great back, complete back, good in the receiving game, but excellent between the tackles as well. Josh McCray, just a huge freshman bowling ball, the player last year. Um, And even Reggie Love is a pretty decent change of pace guy probably the deepest stable of running backs in the conference for my money. Again, there are single individual players who are a little bit better, like a Travion Henderson or a Braylon Allen type, but those three guys as a group, especially the way that Bielema showed the tendency to rotate them really did grind some defenses down over the year. Now there's somehow best quarterback option. Brandon Peters rides off into the sunset. And so we talked a lot about Sitkowski. He returns, but they also entered the portal and bring in Syracuse transfer Tommy DeVito um, again to just stage a battle of New Jersey in the place you would expect to see it, Champaign-Urbana. I think. Well, DeVito not to mention, probably- not to mention the uh, the third guy, the first hand-picked quarterback by Brett Bielema, uh, Donovan Leary, the younger brother of Devin Leary from NC State. You know, the guy that because he quarterbacks at NC State is a pro prospect, but. Uh, Donovan Leary, also from New Jersey. I imagine that's going to be the depth chart is three Jersey guys. Hey, look, you're one short of a biopic about Frankie Valley in the four seasons. Right? Well, you know, unless that 
that Northern Michigan transfer Ryan Johnson comes in, grabs a starting job and subverts my expectations completely like Ryan Johnson's are want to do. Yeah. You know, weirder things have happened. I still think this offense's highest ceiling is going to be with DeVito, but that would require him. So he's had, he's had a very weird career. He took over from the really good Dino Babers quarterback, Eric Dungy, and he had a pretty good season in 2019 um 2020 i believe he got hurt such that going into 21 he had i don't remember if he lost a job at the beginning of the season or if he was ineffective as the season started he ended up getting replaced by garrett schrader who was the guy at mississippi state who was brought in to run the dak prescott nick fitzgerald offense uh, for Joe Moorhead, and then Moorhead got fired, and Mike Leach comes in running the most polar opposite offense you can come up with that Schrader does not fit. So he leaves, goes to Syracuse, where now Dino Babers is gonna is installing a more run-based offense. And so Schrader takes over there. DeVito gets displaced. He had again had a really good 2019 season, about 63% completion, only 2,300 yards, but 19 touchdowns to five interceptions. Um, and he's also really good at getting rid of the ball. He's only played seven games in the last two years, but again, full uh, full 2019 season, a good amount of play in 2018 as well. And he's only been sacked 81 times in his entire career, which over the number of games he's played indicates he's good at getting rid of the ball quickly and good enough at evading pressure in the pocket that he at least isn't going to have Brandon Peters' disease where he is repeatedly hammered by blindside hits he has no idea are coming. So you'll have a, perhaps a more durable presence notwithstanding the fact that he's had some time from injury the last couple of years. What about hits from not his blind side that he also doesn't know are coming because those also used <laughs> yeah. to happen. Um, I truly like well, Tommy DeVito is an interesting prospect because the main reason I've seen, you know, a lot of Atlanta publications thinking he's got the intra- inside track to the job are partially because of his wheels and partially because to borrow a popular turn of phrase lately on this internet, he's got that dog in him. <laughs> right if that's i mean i think ultimately what that says is that we don't know we don't know what's going on man we're talking about yeah. guys that are not that are likely to hand the ball off a lot um right but well crucially the offensive line is kind of the most i mean i don't know why we're talking about quarterbacks so much when offensive line is the most important position in this offense the damage to that group is not as devastating as i feared it would be due to attrition because a uh, super duper senior Alex Polsheski returns that right tackle. Yeah. Um, but they'll miss, uh, they'll miss Doug Kramer and Verdarian Lowe. Those were a couple yeah, of really two good draft guys. guys. Um, they did bring in a couple of JUCOs who could fit into the depth chart right away Isaiah Adams and Zai Chrysler. Uh, and as you mentioned, Polsheski coming back is obviously big. Um, Julian Pearl is going to get some, some reps at guard. And, and to be perfectly honest, the guards that we lost, um, we're splitting time with underclassmen uh, by the end of last year. So uh, I, I have reason to believe that Josh Krutz, Olin's uh, kid, is in line for the center spot potentially. But uh, there's also that. Jordan Slaughter, who was in line to start at guard, he was pushing for a starting guard spot in camp last year when he broke his ankle. So there might just be enough to assemble an offensive line that could roughly approximate last year. Although Vidarian Lowe is an enormous, enormous human, uh, difficult to replace in any capacity. 
Yeah, and we'll start to see now because there were some questions in the tail end of the Arkansas tenure, like was Bielema's success with the offensive line there about him or was it more about Sam Pittman? Um, we'll see. We'll get another data point on that this upcoming season. Really, the I mean, the real question mark about this offense, look, I, I understand all these teams in the Big Ten West think, no, we really can get enough offense by only running the ball to win games and be competitive in this division because there is no superpower team that's going to overwhelm you and make you score 35 points to keep up. I get that. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. But they've got to find some kind of threats out wide because even a really good offense will struggle against good defenses that can pack the box. Um, this offense only had two 100-yard receiving games last year, both by Isaiah Williams. Uh, they had several games where no passer eclipsed 100 yards. Um, Isaiah Williams of- is not the kind of guy that you want to rely on to be your your top threat. So- no, he's great as a slot receiver, but that's also it best, he's best served doing stuff, catching it close to the line of scrimmage and then running after the catch. That's not too terribly different from a run game and doesn't demand a whole lot more from the defense. And then like a recruiting in transfer. Daniel Barker and Deuce Span leave via the portal. Williams is the only vaguely threatening pass catcher on the roster right now. It's all younger guys that we'll talk about when we talk about um, newcomers who can play. Um, only other real option with the pedigree to be a big time contributor would be Luke Ford, who has been mostly invisible as a receiving threat since he's come back to Illinois. Yeah, they really like their blocking tight ends. Tip Reeman earned a scholarship by blocking his ass off. Uh, Daniel Barker is, is going to be a bit of a loss, but since he couldn't really block, I'm not sure how much of the field he would have seen outside of goal line situations. Uh, one of the things is they've got to convince, they've got to find some way to convince transfer guys and recruits to come and play receiver because it seems that their vision is pretty easy to sell to offensive linemen, running backs, and tall white guys that like to hand the ball off. Uh, they lost a lot of receivers to the transfer portal, so, you know, many of whom were understandable, did not get anywhere near as many in return. Um, and it's, you know, obviously they're not going to be a team that's built around the receiving production, but it, it, you've got to have something vaguely threatening out there. You've got to have a change of pace because you, you just cannot possibly beat the Big Ten, you know, if they're able to stack 9 and 10 in the box. Yeah, and so th- that remains very much a work in progress again an opportunity for some early playing time for younger guys. We'll get into that in a bit, but first, as far as the defense goes, I actually, again, like I referenced earlier, I quite like where the Illinois defense is. The line was pretty good last year. They had a couple of transfer pieces in Rashawn Wilkins from Vanderbilt and Tara Edwards from Northwestern to replace a couple of losses like Owen Carney. Um, they had, they do have a lot of turnover in the linebacker group, but because they've had injuries in that group over the last couple of years, they have some backups who have playing time. Tariq Barnes should be ready for a primetime role. Um, CJ Hart looked really good in the one game he was able to play before getting hurt last year. And then, as you mentioned, they've also been able to identify 
playmakers that from kind of anonymous places, um, a la Kirby Joseph, who went from kind of, as we said, anonymous to a third round pick. So um, they returned Sidney Brown in the defensive backfield. The, the, I would say that's probably the vulnerability of the defense relative to the other groups, although the linebackers, again, are, there, are, there is going to be some new faces involved there too. Yeah, and not to mention on the on the defensive line, you know, it's going to be Calvin Avery and Virtus Brown in the middle, two very, very, very large humans. Um, but there's also up front uh, Alec Bryant, a uh, transfer from Virginia Tech, who was a four-star coming out of high school. Uh, he had to sit an entire year last year because the NCAA is still enforcing some of these rules for some reason in this at this time. Um, he, he could be a big contributor at, well, I guess now we'll call it edge, but... Uh, <laughs> because we're running kind of a 5-2 now. But uh, the loss of Roderick Perry is, is big in the middle, but I'm so excited about C.J. Hart. If he is anywhere near what he looked like against Nebraska, he's an absolute difference maker. I think the cornerback tandem is good. It's just going to be a matter of um, making sure that we don't have anybody that's not assignment sound, which, you know, wasn't a big problem last year. Uh, I think that the play of the nose tackles is going to go a long way towards determining how well we can stop the run. And that's yet to be proven. I haven't really seen much of Virtus Brown on the field and, and Calvin Avery has been very inconsistent. Uh, he kind of, he wasn't really meant to be like a nose tackle when he ballooned up to 320 initially. It just kind of was a happy accident. I'm sure Bielema was like, Hey, look, I've got a guy that's almost 340 pounds on the roster. That's a nose tackle, right? Yeah, and so a couple of guys with strong pedigrees and Brown and Avery who finally have an open road to playing time. It's not, you know, not a sure thing. There are other bodies on the roster who could do that. Um, so in terms of instant impact guys, um, we mentioned a couple of the transfers. There's not a whole lot there. <clears throat> They're mostly going to be counting on young guys in the receiver group. Um this is the one kind of downside of where Bielema's program is so far, which is that the recruiting, yeah, uh, this isn't going to do it if there's not a, a more concerted effort to supplement the talent through the portal. Um, Illinois' top-ranked player in the high school class this year was Aiden Lowry. That's number 654 in the composite, and 17 of Illinois' 24 commits are unranked. Uh, now, obviously, some of those guys are going to play over their ranking and will be better than they were projected to. That happens all the time. But I do wonder, and I think you probably have this sense, too, that this class is very much focused on rebuilding the in-state relationships and pipelines that Lovey Smith completely neglected. 11 players in the class from the state of Illinois, um, and then mostly went to places like Florida, New Jersey for some supplements. Um if you put a gun to my head, I mean, the, again, the position group most in need of immediate help is wide receiver by a mile. So you could see Sean Miller from IMG Academy out there early. You could see Hank Beatty. Um, you could see Ian Pugh. Um, he and Sean Miller both early enrolled. So they're going to be a little more up to speed with the offense than a typical freshman would be. It would be surprising if neither of those guys got real reps this year. Well, to step up that recruiting, they're going to have to prove it on the field. Of course, yeah, it's going to be a dodgy strategy, especially in 2022 with NIL, what it is, if you're going to insist that you can build through the draft that is prep recruiting. But uh, that being said, the, the rewards of all the relationships they've tried to build, they have a commitment from the number three player in the state of Illinois for 2023 in uh, athlete Caden Fagan. Um, and 
that you know so far they're class of 2023 it's very early but they're they're highly ranked players they're player you know again a player very important in the state of illinois um but in order for that to pay off they just can't have a disaster season they just can't do it they can't lose credibility so that's a good uh point to pivot to the schedules kind of our wrap up of the football discussion here uh schedule's pretty weird they have a week zero tilt with wyoming um which should be a win but as you've mentioned it's historically been the case that illinois gets these non-powered teams when they're having a historically successful season but both of wyoming's quarterbacks who played last year have transferred out um they then have a friday night trip to indiana and everyone else is week one and then after that, another game with Brennan Armstrong in Virginia, maybe a revenge game there, but also you probably don't want to see that guy again. And then after that, they have a Thursday night game with Chattanooga. And because of the way the schedule lines up between that. So again, between the dates of September 10th and October 1st, Illinois has one game and it's a Thursday night. So it's just a, it's a bizarre way that the schedule ends up working out. And then you have October, it's quadrangle month. You have Iowa, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Minnesota. And then the season ends um, tough-ish crossovers with Michigan State and a road trip to Michigan, as well as Purdue, and then the Northwestern game end the season. So the crossovers there again, um, Michigan State, Michigan, and Indiana could be tougher, could be easier. Uh, Bowl eligibility does feel doable here, though, correct? Yeah, that Virginia game is weird because – yeah, I'm worried about it, but you remember how Bronco Mendenhall just kind of called into work one day and was like, oh, um, by the way, um, bye-bye forever. I, I'm retiring. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Uh, so then September, we, don't ha- we only have one Saturday game, which is that Virginia game. Yeah. Uh, Chattanooga, as I said in basketball season, should in theory be a pretty drama-free event. <laughs> so... Minnesota is homecoming. Charlotte, not Chattanooga, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, no, 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 no. I said that in basketball season in the tournament that that Chattanooga Chattanooga should be should be a non-event. But uh, yeah, that 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 week zero game gifting us the double bye. uh, That's pretty good for a coach that's fourteen and three in his career coming off of buys. So I'm I'm a big fan of that. However, I'm just still. Maybe I've just been conditioned to believe this, but I, I'm I'm going to take a buy on this season. Looking for next year, I'm thinking four and eight. I don't know. Hope I'm wrong. All right, and so we'll pivot now to review of the Illinois hoops season. Very much a, a best of times, worst of times kind of situation. Um, and, and what kind of felt like the end of the first era of Brad Underwood, Illinois basketball, and who knows how long that continues or what it looks like from here. But the epic divining players certainly were Io Dasunmu and Kofi Coburn. Those guys are both gone now. And again, it's sort of a mixed bag, right? Because although you did have consecutive, hugely disappointing round of 32 exits, Illinois did get a conference championship uh, two years ago did win their first regular season conference title in the Big Ten since 2005 this past year. I don't think it's fair to call the end of the first major Underwood build a total loss. Sure, there was more there. A Sweet 16 really would have, I think that would have satisfied most people. Um, Oh, I'll fight anybody that won't talk about it in grander terms than that. We hung two banners after after wandering in the desert for a decade and a half. 
Illinois basketball was nobody. And we had a hard time. Like everybody was convinced that high school recruits were going to care about Illinois. And it's like, that shit was over a decade ago when they last mattered. Uh, The fans were, you know, starting to slowly lose hope, not quite like Missouri fans do overnight, but uh, in the three years Kofi Coburn played, they had a canceled NCAA tournament and then hung two banners. I mean, for a program that did absolutely nothing of note before that, other than going back to 2005, really, like there was, there hasn't been much since then. Um, Yeah. And that's why, again, like, I I don't think the tournament losses are disappointing. I'm not going to pretend that they aren't, Um, but it is, it is the lot of unhappiness to only care about that because for one thing, it's a very small part of the season and a single elimination is such a random number generator. I get like, this is the road that most Michigan state people walk. I, I think I probably do most of the time too, which is why I'm checked out thoroughly. Cause I just don't think Izzo has the tournament magic anymore. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm the tournament my- losses are a lot less disappointing than what happened in each of the seven years preceding the first one. Right. <laughs> right. So it's, again, it's, it's all a matter of perspective and keeping it and trying to remember that, the fact that you're good now doesn't mean that it's going to be 2005 every year. Like you, you got to enjoy these things as they come. And that's absolutely, I've kind of taken that's, that's kind of been my big picture spiritual takeaway from the pandemic is man, find the good things that you can and cling to them. And if there's more out there, sure. There's more out there, but anyway, well, that conference yeah, from that's last a- year, um, that team has functionally disbanded. Kofi Coburn is for real, definitely going off to the draft this time. Um, a couple, so we know now the the clock has elapsed um, on a couple of other more surprising entries: Jacob Grandison and Austin Hutcherson. Um, <laughs> Austin Hutcherson, man, <laughs> the NBA draft. You you <laughs> got to admire the verve and the confidence that it takes for a guy who's been too injured <laughs> to see the floor for more than what hundred minutes in the time he was at Illinois. Did you, you know that inter- that locker room that? interview where Russell Westbrook just makes the biggest stank face I've ever seen this side yeah. of uh, DeAndre Jordan? What? Yeah, what are you talking about, bro? Yeah. So those guys are gone to the draft with varying likelihoods of success. A couple of very steady, uh, just guy that you want on your team senior wings, Alfonso Plummer, the one-year transfer, and Trent Frazier, the guy who's been there since approximately 2001, both out of eligibility. The John Gross recruit. And then a number of other guys have portaled out. Um, Omar Payne, Brandon Podzemski, Benjamin Bosman's Verdonk, all kind of bench to deep bench players. The surprising one to me was Andre Curbelo. And I understand that the relationship, the situation had kind of soured to a point where apparently it wasn't tenable anymore, but man. Yeah, whatever happened in the second... Whatever happened at halftime of the Houston game, just there was no coming back from it. He, he was benched the whole second half of an NCAA tournament game. Uh, it was going to be difficult to come back from that. It's it's a damn shame how that worked out. I love that kid's uh, hustle. I love his energy. I love his creativity. Uh, I wish him the best. Uh, yeah, no, a player that the Big Ten will miss because he, again, reminded me very powerfully of Denzel Valentine. I think he was on a trajectory to be that kind of conference dominating national player of the year candidate as an upperclassman. And now he's going to St. John's, which is, uh, you know, that's sure a decision. That's the thing you could do. So I guess we've listed a whole bunch of names here that are gone. What does that leave? Well, by far the most experienced player on the roster would be Coleman 
spirit totem of JaVale McGee, Hawkins, simultaneously the most jaw-dropping. He's, he's the most jaw-dropping player you'll see in college basketball in all that that implies. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I re- like Because he can shoot the three as a 6'10 wing. Yeah, he can, he can shoot the three, handle the ball, play versatile defense, and he can also do the dumbest things you'll ever see from a player on a basketball court. It's just, it's just again, I'm, I'm here for it. College basketball is more interesting with guys like him in it. No, I have no notes. Fine. Yes. Good. Look, Other man, players, the fact is you can't be 100% on 100% of the time. That's why I've always loved JaVale McGee. He was public with his struggles with ADHD. If Coleman Hawkins and Andre Curbelo don't have ADHD, then come and sue me. <laughs> so Not even gonna, joking. It's great to see. It's going to be an interesting situation with him as the team's other statesman uh other guys returning from last year's roster who you i would expect to see big jumps from would be the sophomore wings luke goody and rj melendez guys that were not reliably playing big roles but definitely showed some flashes melendez in particular uh but i I gotta tell you though this team is going to live and die by its incoming players a couple of transfers from the big 12 um dane danger go ahead get it out of your get out of your go ahead go danger danger Okay, so Dane Danger, the transfer from Baylor, and also Terrence Shannon, um, the surprise land from Texas Tech by way of Michigan being big mad. Uh, Those are the new veteran players, and then a completely loaded high school class, every bit as good as anything Underwood has brought in, probably better. Uh, The headliner there is Sky Clark, who with Curbelo's exit becomes an extremely necessary big-time point guard recruit number 30 overall in the country. He's the headliner of this class. Uh, yeah, you're also forgetting about one thing that happened recently. Matt Mayer from Baylor, who was uh, rated the number one transfer portal player, uh, also is coming to Illinois, which really? is why we will probably not be kicking the tires on Pete Nance. But uh, As funny as that would be. Um, yeah, so that 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 happened. Um, suddenly, Illinois has one of the better... Expression. Can you, just for one second, can you imagine MN Wildcats' expression as Illinois graduate transfer Pete Nance scores 36 points in a 40-point win over Northwestern in Chris Collins' final season as the Wildcats head coach. Could you just let your your lizard brain marinate in those juices while I list off these other recruits in Illinois' excellent prep class? I had not heard the, the mayor news. That's, again, like I wrote these outlines a little while ago and i don't usually do that great job of dusting up and making sure you're up to date uh, but anyway joining sky clark there's ty rogers a sort of combo forward he's a top 50 guy combo guard Jaden epps that's a top 70 player and the shooting guard sincere harris just outside of the top 100 add those to three high level transfers and you've got a team that is going to compete in the big 10 again next year if clark is at all up to the task of playing point guard that is the big question mark for a team that loses a ton of experience they're going to go even adding mayor i would think they're going to go from being one of the oldest teams in the ncaa to probably still one of the youngest uh and so it's it's a lot is going to be on sky clark's shoulders and we have seen the last couple years that this is a fan base that can be impatient with a point guard who makes mistakes as an underclassman however sky clark uh notably has a jump shot which is going to help him out a lot uh but what we're going to see here is, is an interesting test for, for Underwood. This is the first real, you know, 
Well, the first major overhaul he's had since winning anything because there are major overhauls right at the beginning. But uh, what, what I think is an interesting parallel is that last year you had Michigan who had won a big 10 title and then replaced basically everybody on the roster, except a, a, a big man that everybody said should maybe consider the NBA. Um, Illinois is kind of doing the same thing, although Coleman Hawkins, you know, they're more like could NBA someday instead of should do it soon. Yeah. Uh, I'll be interested to see yeah. what happens here. Um, they've, they've done a little more uh, bolstering in the transfer portal, um, you know, with some higher profile transfers than uh, Michigan got last year. But the question is, if will things go south? And if they go south, will Brad Underwood swing on a dude? I think. <laughs> Right. It, just to distract from how bad his team is. on. I think play. our strengths coach is a good enough get back guy that he could prevent the blow, the, the, the blow from out. He could no, at the very least it. do what Michigan's guy did and prevent the fish from getting there while still bald. He could give him time to unball it into a slap. Yeah. Well, I mean, the other thing is Underwood doesn't have quite the same reach of the six foot 10 Juwan Howard. Absolutely. So. Sure. Uh, and the, the, uh, in terms of substantive comparisons though, the thing that I think is going to help Underwood a lot is a more substantive transfer class um, that's going to add, that's going to add more experience. So as you mentioned, like in terms of the magnitude of the turnover, yeah, the comparison between 20 to 21 and 21 to 22, you know, Illinois and Michigan, I, I said that terribly clumsily, but I think people know what I mean. Uh, Juwan Howard also brought in a luminary freshman class this last season the problem was he didn't bring in enough experience in the transfer portal to help those guys. So they had to be pressed into big roles right away. Like Caleb Houston was not ready to start every game and play 30 plus minutes. Musa Diabate probably could have benefited from coming off the bench a little bit and none of their freshman wings were really ready for big roles. So they had to push other guys into big roles that they really weren't ready for. They could use, they basically needed one more transfer than they got. Devontae Jones was the only experience they brought in to go along with basically Eli Brooks as the only meaningful upperclassman on that team. And they were just too young. I don't think that's going to be a problem with Illinois, especially now that they've added Mayer. I mean, him, Danger, and Shannon together, plus having Coleman Hawkins, a couple of younger guys who got some meaningful minutes last year in Goody and Melendez. I think it's much more likely that Illinois stays near the top of the conference this year than it was Michigan would coming into this past season. Look, all um, I want is to keep making the tournament. That's all I've ever wanted oh. because that was my promised birthright. God damn it. And then <laughs> it just didn't happen. Yeah. That should so be. The other, the other note that I'll have to leave you with is do not be surprised if RJ Melendez has a Johnny Davis type breakout year. Not maybe not to that extent, but a guy that maybe you saw for a little bit and thought, hey, that guy could be pretty good. And then it turns out he actually kind of in a bigger role is able to take over that team. So, we'll, yeah, we'll put a post-it note in that. We'll project, uh, you heard it here first, Thumpasaurus declares RJ Melendez better than Johnny Davis right here, right now. We'll go ahead and write that in Sharpie on the predictions list. And I promise be- you when he leaves Illinois, his legacy will be more then that super tight close-up of him making the biggest deer in the headlights, sad hound dog face I've ever seen after getting the worst technical in the history of the NCAA tournament. But if he doesn't, that would still be a fine legacy to leave behind. And so with that, we will conclude our 
recap slash precap podcast here for Illinois Week. We thank you for joining us, and we look forward to discussing Rugster basketball next week on Off Tackle Empire. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire!